Janitorial Manager presents the Business of Cleaning podcast, the podcast that brings you the information you need to be successful in the cleaning industry. The Business of Cleaning podcast provides in-depth interviews with successful personalities from the commercial cleaning industry, as well as discussing the trending topics that matter to you and your organization. Welcome into the Business of Cleaning podcast, your number one source for information on the commercial cleaning industry. We release new episodes monthly live from the Janitorial Manager Studio located in Toledo, Ohio. I'm Tim Clagg, the Marketing Communications Specialist for Janitorial Manager and your host of the Business of Cleaning podcast. This month, we welcome in Joel Craddock, president of Docs Facility Solutions, Inc. His company was recently awarded Small Business of the Year in the greater Rochester, New York region. Welcome to the show, Joel. We're so glad that we could connect with you. And you challenged me right away, our introductory <laughs> conversation, asking me how I clean my individual office space and how many different Lysol wipes, because that's what I was using, I used. You made me think about, stop and think about these things that I never really question is why I do this. Well, that is a question, and that's why I ask most people that, uh, prospects, business associates, my own staff, when they're first hired, and even other business owners. I belong to a couple networking groups where I work with and, and interact with several business owners and high-level salespeople. And, you know, asking that question, it's like, how, how does this happen and why does it happen? And as I told you that day, most of the information people have in the cleaning world come one of two ways. They come from us growing up as kids and well, that's the way I was taught by mom and dad or my grandparents or whatever. But more importantly, we all sat in front of a TV and we would see these, oh, the clean, the, the smell of clean is fresh flowers or a cool, you know, dewy morning or you write something on the wall and then wipe it away instantly once you spray with chemical and and all of those fallacies in the marketing world. More and more and more. And I want to dive into your career. 40 years ago, the industry journey began going back to you as a young man. Your first cleaning job started in your church for a quarter what do you remember <laughs> right a quarter per hour <laughs> what do you remember most from that first experience and what are some of the key things from that first job that has always stuck with you even now 40 years later well the first thing i realized was maybe even based on something my father told me as a kid and that is you wake up every morning. Back then, there was something called a newspaper. Don't know how many newspapers exist today, but you would open up and you look at the obituaries. And my father used to tell us, if you don't see your name in the obituary, your employer expects you to be to work. So that was instilled very early in my thought process about if I woke up that morning, my employer expected me to show up. So responsibility is what that taught me from a very early age. And also the fact that, wow, you you actually do something and you got paid for it. Now people may say, well, a quarter an hour, why, why would you get out of bed for that? Well, when you're a kid, 
back in the you know the the late seventies, early eighties, quarter was a lot, and I yes. saved that up, and I bought my you know. I was able to buy stuff for myself, and I even told my parents at one point, hey, the the dollar a week allowance that I'm getting, I don't need anymore. I'm a self-made man. I make my own money, and the family needs that dollar more than I do. So, you know, it really taught me a sense of responsibility from a very young age. Um, what do I take back from that job? Was your employer always expected you to do something for the money that they paid you, no matter how much or how little it was, there was an expectation level that you would complete the job thoroughly. And again, being a young man, of course, I tried to cut corners. But when your employer caught you cutting corners, you you realize very quickly that it was just easier to do it right the first time and not have to go back and redo it because going back and redoing it ended up meaning that you you know lost out on time with family and friends and things like that because you had to go fix what you didn't do. So, you know, again, a sense of responsibility, but also sense of don't cut corners. Do it right the first time. And, you know, you were on the expedited process at a young age for the industry. While yeah. in college, you continued to work in the industry <laughs> for one of the biggest cleaning companies in the Rochester area. And you found yourself already at the age of 23 as the youngest operations manager that they had with already several hundred people reporting to you. Um, first of all, at that age, you know, you're still learning as an individual going to school. Was that a little intimidating at first having that many people uh, reporting to you? It was very intimidating. Um, being a young man at that time, I also, I think I see some 23 year olds in today's day and age. And I think, wow, I was never that mature at the, the age of 23. Um, I think that I probably had more of a sheltered life than most people uh, because of the way that we were brought up, uh, going to Catholic schools, things like that. So I, I didn't have a lot of interaction with large groups of people back as I was growing up. College was a, a eye-opening for me. But being 23 years old and, and responsible for that many people, that amount of business, you know, the thing I can remember, there was like, from where my, my one job was and then the promotion that they gave me, there was no step in between. Wow. And I could remember going into the director of operations office in tears. I'll admit it at 23 years old in tears because I set a very high standard for myself. Yeah. And I told the operations manager, I, I said, I, there's just no way I can do this. I, I can, I need a stepping stone in between. This is beyond my capabilities. I can't do it. And he said something that, that uh, stuck with me. And he goes, the fact that you are this concerned about it tells me I've hired the right person for the job. Because if you didn't care, I'd be worried. He says, you're right. You're not hitting the mile markers that you need to hit right now. But I also know you and how hard you're going to work to get there and put in the time outside of work, educating yourself to get to the level to handle all this work. So he was right. I was wrong. I, I was able to handle it. But it, it was just so much out of my zone and my comfort zone at that time. And I see things posted on social media all the time about, you know, when you stay in your comfort zone, there's no growth. Well, I grew a lot and as a 23-year-old young man um, with my responsibilities at work, and I was married, and we had a home, and 
you know, car payments and everything else. So, I mean, there was, there was a lot of responsibility on my plate at that time. And how were you able to land the opportunity at such a young age uh, in the industry? You want the truth? <laughs> <laughs> well, like Jack Nicholson says, you can't handle the truth, right? You no, can't just... <laughs> handle the truth. You want me on that wall. Um, well, it's funny. I mean, I think part of it was my education because in, in, in the commercial cleaning industry, a lot of people come into it without having a college background. And I did. I, and my, my major was in HR. Um, what I remember one time starting working for that particular company and working my way up through the company, I was originally hired as what they called a troubleshooter. And the basic duties were to either fill in for an open routine, somebody who was on vacation, help with a new startup, or if there was enough people that showed up on a given night, you might have been sent to a building where there was a lot of you know uh, complaints and trouble that had been going on, and you were there to help solve and, re and resolve some of the cleanliness issues. So there was a construction cleanup job that they had uh, that they sent us to, which was a, a multi-building location. Uh, each of the buildings was three stories tall, and they had been built and had been vacant for a long time. And the restrooms had a lot to be desired. Oh, in essence, wow. to keep it clean in PG version, somebody had used a toilet with no water in it that had been locked up for several years. So basically all that bacteria continued to grow. So it came up out of the bowl, around the bowl, oh, and then down gosh, to the floor. Man. And the two guys I was working with at the time were like, there's no way we're going to clean it. We'll have the new guy do it. So they came to me and said, hey, can you, you know, we're going to have you clean that restroom. I walked in, saw what they were talking about. I come out like, no way am I going to do that. And like, look, if you clean that, we will get you a case of beer. So <laughs> I went in for a case of beer. I cleaned the heck out of that toilet. And I found out that this was not a toilet that had, a, it was not on a pedestal. This was a wall mount. So it had grown so much that it looked like it had been a pedestal. Oh. And we realized it was a wall mount toilet. So I cleaned it up all by myself. And my employers kind of thought, well, if you can clean it, you can delegate it. So that's kind of how I got started on that particular road of uh, working within that company and having an education to go behind it, as well as having I had been a store manager for a retail location prior to that. I had management experience. So I helped, it helped me get kind of a step up in that organization very quickly. On this path, you are headed on the fast track to upper management with this company. What ended up changing that? kind of made you walk away from this opportunity after finding so much success right away with them? That is a very good question. Um, looking back, it was it was multifaceted. Um, we were one of the of, uh, Rochester, New York's at that time, largest employers. We had a lot of work and we lost our largest client, which meant that there was several thousand layoffs within the company um, due to losing that work. They rated everybody, you know, and kind of drew a line and said, okay, everybody under this level had to go. So I walked into day into work like the, the day after that account had uh, been closed and cleaned up and we pulled all the equipment out of every single one of the buildings that we had and not knowing what to expect. And when I walked in to work that Monday, there was a lot of people missing. 
Mm. People that I had looked up to as mentors, as people that gave me great guidance and all that. And I think in a way I had survivor syndrome where it's like, why did I survive and others didn't who I looked up to as mentors? And that 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 resonated very hard with me. And I had a hard time understanding why and having to be the you know, the person that went and told some of these managers in some of these locations that we had who had mentored me and helped bring me along and coach me to the success I had at that point and having them tell them that they no longer had a place within the organization and that we couldn't. It, it was just, it was rough. And I kept in contact with some of the individuals and one of the guys that I had trained actually had started his own business and I wanted to go work with him. I was going to be able to do more things because I figured at that point there was not much more I could do where I was. And what a better opportunity than get a ground floor start with a new company and be able to make a difference with a company and see how to, to build a company from the ground up rather than working for an established company. So that's a glutton for punishment. And again, again, you took a chance, right? Stepping outside yeah. that comfort zone, and you know, you you took the chance, the first opportunity at, at, at as a at a young age, and this was another opportunity uh, that you thrived on. Uh, Docs is eleven years old. It's gone through a lot of transitions. You had a partner when you first started this business, and then an opportunity presented itself for you to be the sole owner after you know so many people experienced burnout in the industry. And you became the 100% owner. However, um, right away, you guys lost about, I think you shared the number 79% in revenue as Docs was no longer a double certified business. Um, yeah, that's when, the, that's when the other partners stepped away. That's how right. much work we lost because we were minority owned, woman owned business. So just with her stepping away, that, that created all the work that I could no longer do because I could not fill out the paperwork and everything that was needed to be done. And you turned it around. You, you turned it around. Yes. How, after losing that much revenue for the first time, because this is a journey we mentioned at the top of the broadcast, <laughs> uh, top of the episode. So this is curveball number one thrown at you. You're excited to take the opportunity to be the sole owner. This is kind of your baby, kind of you've molded. What are you thinking? What are you experiencing emotion-wise at this time? Panic. Wondering how I was going to be able to afford the bills of the business, let alone my own personal bills. Um, to the point that I even moved into my office building for nearly, you know, almost four years before I bought my house. So I lived in my office for quite a stretch, which is, I guess, entrepreneur-ish in the sense that you do whatever it takes to keep your business going. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so they cut that, but I try to save as much money as I was paying in rent so that I could have money to apply, you know, for a house and, you know, a mortgage and things. But then having to refocus because, the clients that we were going after were ones that needed double certifications or single certifications to hit check marks within, you know, their organizations to say, yes, we're hiring women-owned businesses. Yes, we're hiring minority-owned businesses. So I had to change the focus and go away from jobs that had 
maybe government backing towards them, or they they were in a position where they had to hit numbers for EOC type guidelines. So I had to shift my mindset, find new potential clients because I've been in this industry a long time. For me, that was not that big of a a mindset shift, but it was scary because here are all these other opportunities that maybe I turned down in the past because, hey, that's not how we want to build our business. Now I had to go back and say, oh, you know, Tim, remember me who you asked a couple years ago? You know, and it was like, well, that's not my my vertical that we're working in. I had to change our verticals and change our mindset and change our focus so that we could, you know, establish ourselves again and hire back the people that we had to lay off with that much loss of work and build ourselves back up. So it was it was a scary time. Again, you know, out, outside the comfort zone, feeling kind of uh, loserish, not having my own roof over my head and, and having to live in my office and, you know, my car and things like that. But again, I did whatever it took to keep the company going. Like Frank Sinatra, you did it your way. My way. <laughs> Love that song. Yes. Classic favorite of mine. But also, too, from that, your employees, you get a chance to hire the people that you want. And I'm sure right away, people had seen, you know, Joel's staying here. He's living here. So he, he is. Well, they didn't know that. Only one person knew that. And that was oh, wow. the okay. person that worked in the office. But the rest of the staff was not aware of it because I figured you got to, if, if the boss has got to live in his office, maybe this is not a successful business. So I did keep that hidden from everybody. Uh, the only the only person that knew was the person that opened the office in the morning because they would call to make sure that, you know, everything was okay before they would unlock the door and come in, you know, in the morning. So, you know, I appreciated the fact that they they were that thoughtful. One of the many areas of expertise that you have is particularly dedicated to cleaning for health. What fueled this passion in this part of the industry for you? Well, that goes back to when I was married the first time. We had three children. Our middle son wasn't hitting the mile markers. And we, you know, kept going to the doctor saying, what's wrong with him? What's wrong with him? What's wrong with him? And they finally came back with a diagnosis of, of autism. Now, he is 25 years old now. So he was about two when they diagnosed him. So 23 years ago, autism was relatively new in the world, um, something that was happening every single day, and the numbers kept saying, growing, 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 and it's like, we don't know what's causing this. So having worked in this world for quite a while, and being a gentleman who started out and being told, you don't wear gloves, you don't wear safety glasses, you don't wear hearing protection, because you'll be considered less of a man and you'll be picked on you know, because it's a macho thing. I knew I'd been exposed to so many chemicals over the course of time. So when knowing all of that, we told the doctors, like, you should probably test my blood to find out if anything that I've been exposed to, if that's created the autism that my son has. Well, again, because it was back then, nobody knew. They tested my blood and they come back and they said, well, there's good news, bad news. And like any parent, well, what's the good news? Well, you didn't cause anything that got your son sick. So it was like a major relief for my ex-wife and myself. But what I was not ready for was the bad news, which was that I had more chemicals in my body than an embalmed person. 
because skin wow. is the biggest is the biggest organ that we have. So the skin is how we take in all the chemicals that are being used in, in reaching and a lot of the chemicals that were used that many years ago had butyls in them and the EPA has outlawed a lot of them because they were carcinogens, they were this, they were that. Um, I do have some damage to my lungs and to my my hands and feet, the, the nerves, because of some of the stuff that I've worked with over the years. But I also took the risk. And when I had the opportunity to start my own business, I'm like, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a way to protect the frontline employee that's actually doing the work. There's got to be a way that you are protecting the people whose building it is that you're cleaning because if you use a product on their desktop or whatever, I mean, now they're exposed to it. And there's got to be a way that you can clean a facility that, that makes it safe for everybody who enters it. So back in 2013, when I started Docs Facility Solutions, I did it based on cleaning for health when the rest of the industry was basing it on cleaning for appearance or the, as you probably have seen, the race to zero for how little can you do it because the the marketplace for cleaning services was so sticky downwards that everybody was undercutting everybody to get work. And then it was like, okay, now I have the contract. What do I need to do bare minimum to keep a contract and be profitable without doing everything that's in the contract? And we took the opposite direction and worried about doing it the right way and cleaning and sanitizing properly and using the best chemistry, the best materials, the best equipment and doing it the right way. You, you raise a, a point and I'm, I'm curious to kind of find out your thoughts. It, you found that out that you had more chemicals in your body than an embalmed person. How many other hundreds, if thousands of people that had been in the industry and have been in the industry, as long as you have, have been involved, have been affected over the duration of that time span? Probably millions of people. Oh my gosh. And I can remember when I made the decision to work in this industry as a career, I can remember my mother being, you know, hesitant, you know, about me going into the industry because of the chemical exposures and things like that. So that was an early on conversation that, you know, we had about me entering this industry. And when I decided to start my own company, my mother was like, well, don't you think that it, and I'm like, mom, I'm going to do it different. I'm going to do it so that people are healthy or healthier. Because the thing is, is that even like, you know, the, the industry has been shifting since COVID and they talk about, you know, green cleaning and all this type of stuff. And in some ways it's a misnomer because people hear the word green and they think it's safe. They are safer mm -hmm. with the emphasis on the ER, the er, there's still chemicals. So you still have to treat them like chemicals. You have to understand that there's safety that still needs to be involved and you have to wear your proper protective equipment and be guided and understand everything about that chemical before you use it so that you stay safe. But more importantly, all of those that enter the space right. after you are safe. How difficult has it been trying to get your current clients and prospects to understand and get on board with cleaning for health? Because when you've got a big operation <laughs> and you've got a facility that let's say, let's just use an example, let's 
two, three hundred employees working there, well, that is a lot of sick time for an individual in one year to possibly take if the building itself hasn't been fully cleaned, the vents, the air filtration, all those components that go into it. I mean, we saw the change with COVID, but how sustainable has that been for getting companies to understand the longevity of this? In the early years, it was very difficult because I was competing against an industry standard. And when you're going against the flow, it's almost like, you know, the salmon trying to, you know, flow the opposite way in the river. You know, it's it's very difficult, you know, and all the naysayers that were laughing at me in 2013 weren't laughing in 2020 when COVID hit. So it was it was eye opening. The customers that I had at the time that 2020 hit and, uh, you know, COVID had first made landfall out on the West Coast and my clients on, you know, being on the East Coast, they were coming like, what do we need to do? Tell me what we need to do to keep our people safe. This is why we hired you. Um, and one of my one of my first clients that I had, I mean, he the very first year says, "What's different about your company?" I don't, don't understand what you meant about clean for health, but like all of our people always maxed out their sick time every single year. And the first year that you came in and cleaned, we we went to the point that everybody had time left in their sick banks, and that's never happened. He said. I've got the same people. I've been managing them for 30 years in the same facility. The only difference is you and your company. So that, that right there showed me. And there's there's numbers that are out there about. You shared some on your LinkedIn. Yeah. Uh, you know, cleaning for health and looking at, you know, cleaning not as a, as a cost center, but as a profit center. Because, you know, the average person in the, in the United States takes, on average, 7.76 day, sick days per year. Well, that results a week. in oh, a little over yeah. a week. Yeah. yeah, a little bit better, almost almost eight full days wow. of sick time per year. That costs employers over $225.8 billion, not M, B as in boy, billion Oof. dollars per year. So when you clean properly, and you do it the right way with the right equipment, with the right training, you can actually reduce absenteeism. I have an HR company that I work with. He referred me to a client. And the numbers in the study that I know is like, you can reduce absenteeism by 46%. So that's a serious cut in that $225 plus billion if you can reduce it nearly 50%. And he worked for a company and we were actually, we reduced their absenteeism by more than 50%. Wow, that's incredible. And and he's like, the only difference was you. And the, the error that when we first started cleaning there, they were a manufacturing company and you could smell all the lubricants in the air. After two months of us doing the cleaning, you didn't smell the lubricants in the air anymore because we were getting the soils out of the building. We were cleaning properly. The people that were there were happier. They worked more productivity-wise. There was a higher output. There was less sick time. They weren't having to pay overtime and double time to people to cover shifts. So for them, that, that resulted right to the bottom line and saved them over $125,000 the first year we were there. And we were doing the cleaning in that facility for far less than the $125,000 that they realized in additional profits. 
So, you know, to me, cleaning is a profit center. We we add money to, to the bottom line by reducing sick days. So now that we've been almost four years removed from COVID, are companies still kind of struggling to understand that you're, what you're providing with cleaning for health, is it still a struggle to sell that and get them on board and fully committed, not just for flu season from, let's say, October through the spring, but year round to be dedicated to cleaning for health? Because COVID has become such a regular part of life anymore. And, and to talk to people, I've heard, oh, I've caught thir- three times this year I've had COVID, things like that. Because when there was the return to work policy kind of went into effect, people started thinking that COVID was gone. And when the, the federal government said, oh, you know, we're, we're, we're stopping the pandemic, you know, it's no longer a pandemic anymore. So people th- thought that they had to go back and, oh, we can have a normal life again. Well, as we said during the pandemic, well, there's going to be a new normal. And we are living in the new normal. We can't do things the way that we used to. But yes, people are starting to feel that, oh, we do not have to clean as much. We don't need to do this as much. And the unfortunate thing is kind of going back to what you stated earlier about the whole the wipe situation. So many people do things the wrong way in life that once you stop doing something that we know that works, you start seeing a steady decline. And whether it be profitability, you start seeing sick time creep back up because you're not doing the things that were making you successful. And being a business owner and getting involved in social media, I can tell when I'm not doing the social media the way I do because all of a sudden I start losing the momentum I built that Mm -hmm. caused me to be busy. And then trying to get that train back on the tracks is a lot more work than what was going when everything was going well. And that's kind of where people are, are right now. Oh, well, we only have so many people that come into the office. Well, that's okay. Germs still grow at a rate right. of, you know, you know uh, they, they duplicate themselves and double every 20 minutes in a perfect condition. You know, and does that happen? No, not in the real life. But the thing is, is that in a perfect world, they still mutate and, and duplicate themselves every 20 minutes and that results in billions of organisms that are not seen with the human eye on desktops on phones on handrails on call buttons on push bars on desks i mean on doors on faucets in the restroom so you really have to realize that it doesn't matter if you have one person or a thousand people in a facility that when something's touched it becomes contaminated and that's when growth of germs starts we're talking with Joel Craddock, owner of Docs Facility Solutions. Joel has over 40 years of experience in facilities management. You just touched on something I want you to kind of uh, dig a little deeper and dive into for our listeners. Cleaning is a profit center. Can you kind of elaborate a little bit further? Yeah. Like I was saying, you know, just the fact that, you know, you have fewer people that are calling in sick and you can just not paying the overtime, not paying the double time, the loss in goodwill. Because if you're not there and your customer calls in and they get a voicemail and a call's not returned timely that they're used to, that that results in lost will. You can increase your production rate within your company by about 2 to 8% by reducing your absenteeism by 46%. 
And that was a study that was done in 2006, way before the pandemic, mm -hmm. by Kimberly Clark in a building that had nearly 100 employees. And by training the people in the building, as well as the cleaning staff on what they needed to do, what they needed to pay attention, they, they realized that 46% reduction in absenteeism, and it resulted in an 8% growth for that company based on the reduction in absenteeism. And that's where the whole profit center part comes, is that you, you don't have to grow your business. You need to keep your people healthy and you can grow. Because now if you're a manufacturer, you have parts that can be sent out. We work with one company uh, in the Rochester market where they, they're seeing their error rate decrease because we're keeping the dust particles out of the air because they work when things that are like one fourth the thickness of paper like a normal sheet of paper so any dust that gets on something like that is going to cause that that product as an electronic to be found as an error and is going to be rejected and not for sale so they're, they're seeing already a reduction in waste so those products are actually available for sale and going out the door at a record rate for them. During COVID, you experienced a life-changing experience. You were in the intensive care unit for over five weeks with COVID. Your company during that time, however, thrived and continued to run under the direction of the employees. Take us back to that moment when you first learned that your employees had kept the business running and what emotions were you overcome with? I'm still overcome with emotion. Huh? I, uh, yeah, I caught COVID in, in January of uh, 2022. And on the 19th of January, I, you know, I actually flatlined. I died. They resuscitated me with paddles. And I woke up in the intensive care unit uh, on a ventilator. And my, my, Number one, the first person that reports to me, Sonia Arzuaga, is uh, she was an amazing woman. She had uh, had requested vacation back in like November that I had signed off on. That was for like February 1st. <laughs> and she took it upon herself to cancel her vacation and run the company while I was unable to do so. As, as a business owner, we often sometimes cling on to things. We're afraid that if somebody else can do what we do, we're replaceable or we're whatever. But what it taught me was that I had trained my staff so well that the company could work virtually seamlessly. Were there some hiccups? Absolutely. There is any day even when I'm here. But there was very few hiccups. Since she had access to my calendar, she saw when I had sales appointments coming up and it was way out of her comfort zone to run sales meetings or whatever, but I bring her on them. So she gets an idea because she's also not only my HR manager, but my operations manager. So she knew enough to go out and ask some questions and get some basic information and to, you know, help with the bidding and estimating process. And the funniest thing out of all of it is she actually had a signed contract on a, on a napkin that she just wrote a price down and said, this is your monthly fee. When Joel gets back from the hospital, he'll, he'll type up the contract. And the, the client actually signed the napkin. 
And she had that job started and staffed and running before I even came back to the office. Wow. And even wow. when I came back to the office, I was on a walker. I was on oxygen tanks uh, for almost nine months. You know, and I was not working full days. I came in and it was like I did some of the financials and made sure that the invoicing got done and things like that. But she was really running the show for the nine months after I was even back. And it just showed me how important it is to train people the right way because you just never know. And I often t will tell my business colleagues that, you know, my ultimate goal is to, to build a business that can outlive me. And I know that this business could, if something were to you know, happen to me, is that that's the legacy, is that the company can, can continue on even without my involvement. And I'm, you know, I'm proud of that. I'm happy about it. Um, and I'm really happy for Sonia, most of all, because she did something that was so far out of her work realm and comfort zone, almost like me at 23 years old. And when I came back, she's like, I am so glad you're back. I do not want your job. <laughs> but, but she did it. And she continued to do it, even though I was around because I just physically couldn't do the things that I could. And I've got long COVID symptoms still. I've got, you know, the memory loss and fogging, you know, short-term memory is not so great. Uh, I have a lot of fatigue still. I have restrictive lung disease, which my lungs will continue to get harder um, over time and things like that. So, you know, she's she's taken a very active role in the company. And that's, I think, the biggest thing I got out of it was... I trained everybody the right way. They can step up and it shows me that I've done the right things with the right people. Shows too the respect and the culture that you guys have worked as a team, as a family, uh, with a collective effort to continue to build with your employees. Uh, your employees, you provide a lot of resources. And uh, the biggest thing I noticed in our introductory call was you seem to really push your empl employees and improve their work and life skills. Um, some of the things that we touched on, highlighted on, uh, not only lunch and learn, real estate agents, mortgage bankers, real estate attorneys, those are some of the financial advising tools that you've offered your employees. We even have a financial planner that comes in uh, twice a year and offers uh, you know, financial assistance in the sense of education, we do have a 401k program uh, that's installed in the company. So, you know, we have that as well with a match. But I noticed that a lot of my employees didn't even know how to balance a checkbook. Mm -hmm. And I've had some of them come over and ask me, can you show me how to balance a checkbook? So I don't know what that says about our education system, because I remember having to take like classes like that in school and high school, you know, to learn some base skills. And you know, either they're not teaching it or they're not retaining it, one or the other. And it's important because I know I don't want to get to know my employees just that, oh, well, that's, you know, so-and-so and they work here. I, I really want to know what their goals are in life and where they want to be within the company. And that's one of the things I found out about Sonia. So when my business partner left, I brought her into the office because she said she wanted to learn how to do the back office stuff in a cleaning company and understand that more. So when that opportunity came, I knew who to go talk to first. Uh, we had a couple of people last year live some personal goals that they bought houses. And that's where having these lunch and learns and what do they need to do to help rectify their credit? Uh, what, how much money do they need to start thinking about setting aside 
you know, for closing and putting down payment on houses? What type of funds are out there for people, for first-time home buyers, or if they buy within a certain zip code, are there additional grants? And I don't know all that stuff, but I bring in other experts that do so that the staff that's goals to, to buy a house say, hey, I have a lunch and learn that's going to happen. These individuals are going to be here on this date. Please come in if you are serious about wanting to achieve your goal. So I get to see that. And what it's resulted in is we have so many family members that work here and they're all proud. So we have mothers and sons and husbands and wives and mothers and daughters and cousins and nieces and nephews. And I mean, we have this great culture and I always had wanted it to be kind of like a family and it's turned into almost like a family affair, so to say, even though I don't have any family that works here. Mm -hmm. um, but I've, you know, I've learned the cultures of the people that work here. I've learned how to cook. I've learned how to speak some Spanish so that I can can converse. And I really do try. And I think that everybody appreciates the effort that I take to get to understand them, their cultures, their foods. And I've even recently, you know, brought some food in that I made when I made some arroz y condules. And uh, I was told that I'm 100% guaranteed Puerto Rican authentic hey. cooking. Hey. And for me, that was a huge compliment yes. because the last time I made it, they're like, <laughs> so I refined my skills. <laughs> we discussed your hurdles that you've had personally. Uh, but again, Doc's faced another situation during COVID where you lost 90% of your customers, clients that were considered non-essential. You have a podcast as well. And uh, that's what kind of I noticed was this particular top, this particular topic were what are some things that nearly killed your business? Yeah, that, that was a biggie because uh, living in New York State, everybody knows that our governor was on every single day and had a daily program that he did. And he literally was shutting the state down. All these businesses that had to close, had to close, had to close, had to close. And after building the business back, back after my partner left, mm -hmm. well, part of my vertical was working with architectural firms, working with um, companies that dealt in computer software. Well, all those companies can work from home. Some of them never came back to work. Some of the gyms that we were doing, some of the smaller businesses we were doing, and all, they just went out of business because they couldn't survive without any customers. And again, it was a very difficult time because we had lost so much work and the amount of income coming in wasn't even going to cover, you know, the rent on the facility that I have. So I stopped paying myself as well as having to lay off everybody except for Sonia at that time. And Sonia was working two days a week. She came in to process the payroll for her and for me, you know, anything that had to be done. And we had to submit it, even if there was a no payroll, we, we still had to submit it to, to make sure that the company stayed open and that the, all the tax reporting and everything else. Um, so she kind of handled that part for me while I, I spent my time trying to focus on, okay, what are the essential businesses out there? They probably have somebody, but if they're another cleaning company and maybe that's the only business they have, maybe they're going under because they've had to lay off everybody. They might not be able to do it. 
So I just started focusing on manufacturing where they were building, you know, respirators or the cardboard to, you know, to, to package the respirators and things like that. So we, we got into a lot of manufacturing facilities during COVID and, and a lot of uh, assisted living and senior living facilities, independent and assisted, because again, those were essential. They had to be cleaned yeah. every day. Yeah. Their housekeeping departments, a lot of people got scared and didn't want to go to work. So my staff was hungry enough that they wanted to work and they were willing to go into those facilities as long as we had them properly um, dressed for their own protection. And we had bought face shields and a lot of other things to help keep them protected at that time. And that's where our success came and bringing us back and has continued to be a big part of our business, even rolling out of COVID, is working with these assisted living and independent living facilities, apartment communities, school districts, private schools, things like that. Those have all become a big part of our new verticals that we've gone after and have very successfully teamed and uh, integrated with a lot of the companies that we work with. If you could give your top three uh, it, pieces of advice that nearly killed your business to listeners that are new to the commercial cleaning industry as a whole. What are your top three things that you would tell them? Hey, these are case in point. I've lived them that almost killed my business. One is be careful who you bring close to you. That, that means business partners. That means vendors. That even means clients. Because if you put all your eggs in one basket, like I did early on in my my career, that person can then tell you, you know what, sorry, we're, we're done doing business with you. So you never want to have too much of your business with one client ever. Or, um, you know, same thing with vendors. Um, they find out about your business enough. They may end up using some of that information against you and start their own business. The... I guess the number two thing, which I talk to a lot of, because I also own a consulting business, mm -hmm. a lot of things I talk with uh, young upstart companies is don't leave your full-time job, run them parallel. I ran out of unemployment. I started from the bootstraps. I had no money to invest basically when I first started this company. So I had a much slower growth rate than a lot of other companies because I literally was still trying to pay bills at home. I didn't have a job that covered the bills. So I have a client uh, in, in Ohio, which I'm very proud of what they've been able to establish thus far. And uh, it's a husband and wife team, and he's still working his full-time job. And they have grown so much. They grew a lot going into December of this past year. And already this year, they, they have out, outpaced what their growth rate was the last year year. Wow. And they're still wow. both working their full-time jobs, but they've structured the company properly, which I'm, you know, ecstatic to see that the advice I gave him early on was, uh, was listened to because he's, he's, he's seen the success. I wish I had seen had I done it the right way. So a lot of my podcasts are based on what I did and much rather see people steer away from the holes that I found. Um, and you need to have, thirdly, a very strong faith. I don't care what it is. I'm not here to tell people to you know enter religion. Some people's faith is praying at home or reading the Bible or Quran or whatever at home. 
and you got to have faith. And that's, and that is something that I have realized several times throughout my career uh, because I did, I left my church and I, I lost my way and I found my way back. And through every one of these big challenges and hurdles that I've had, my faith has helped me get through it. I pray to a higher power. I, I know that that individual has helped me and has helped clear my mind and has put the right people around me when I've needed it the most. And that's probably the third thing is have faith in something whatever it is, because you need it, because there's sometimes you just don't know where to turn. And being the, you know, my brother owns a business, but he's just a solopreneur. I have employees. My sister says, why would you ever do that? You know, why didn't you take a job with, you know, where, where you have the protection of a paycheck? My brother's like, because of the headaches that you have, you know, with, with staff and, you know, when people call in sick or don't show up or, you know, all these these things that have almost derailed your company. You know, why don't you just keep, continue just doing it yourself and, and don't worry about the fact that there was nobody else there. Just worry about you. So they when I come to these roadblocks, I don't have somebody necessarily to talk to. So I only have one person to talk to, and that's the guy upstairs. And that that has helped me through so much. And you have to just open your mind and you got to listen because sometimes the listening is somebody that happens to bump into you in life that you never even knew previously. And you've come out time and time again, better on the other side. And there's been an well, outdated, say. <laughs> <laughs> there's been a outdated stigma on people in the cleaning industry. Some of it did go away in 2020. How can we continue to move forward in a positive manner and work to change the view as a whole for the industry. That's been my challenge since I joined LinkedIn back in 2006. How do you change a negative stigma? So basically it's it's to, to walk the walk, talk the talk and do the right things. A lot of people do not realize the education that goes into being a custodian and the types of things that we need to know and the amount of math we have to do and the understanding of chemistry and, and pH and using the right products for the right purpose so that you don't damage the surface. It's so much more than just emptying a trash can, slinging a mop yes. and pushing a vacuum cleaner. And even with putting a vacuum cleaner, I just was in Chicago and I had said something and their HR manager says, oh my gosh, I have to put this down in our new hire orientation package because I did not realize that you don't push a vacuum cleaner like that, like we do at home, how we were mm -hmm. taught. You don't, that's called a fan. You don't do it like a fan. You have to walk laterally with it. And if you have a backpack, you have to turn at the waist because that's the strongest part. So just little things like that, going back again to what you said, it's the little things that make a big difference. And that's what I think is going to change the view of this industry is the little things. You shared a great quote with me. You said, every night we clean, we're writing the prescription for the next day. And I think there is a huge opportunity. When you look, you alluded to it earlier, uh, the education in th this country. There's so many opportunities. You know, uh, when I was growing up, got to go to college, got to go to college. Well, now we are in a time where... There is a lot of trade and skill positions, and this is a trade and skill position 
that is going to have a lot of opportunity, I think, for that next generation that are deciding what they want to do with their life. And um, first dive into the quote and then kind of your thoughts on the industry as a, a trade and skill. Diving into the quote about we, we write the prescription every yeah. single night. We really do. If we do our jobs well, people don't get sick. If we use the wrong chemical on a surface, it can make somebody sick. And it goes back to one of the companies I worked for one time. They Somebody had sprayed a product on the inside of a microwave oven. They forgot to wipe it out. The next day, somebody came in in the morning. They put in like a, it's either a bagel or a muffin. I don't remember what it was anymore. They warmed it up. They ate it. And their face swelled up because um, they were allergic to the chemical that had been in, in there. And this was a time before cell phones when this happened. So there was no way to get a hold of who had cleaned it and how and what happened. And, you know, it took the company I worked for many, many hours to figure out exactly what happened. And it was a very toxic chemical that somebody put on the inside and just forgot to wipe it out. Mm. And a person almost died because of it. So that that's maybe an extreme thing, but that's what happens if you don't have people trained right. Yeah. And, and and they used a product that should never have been used on that surface to begin with. So again, it comes back to training. What's the outlook for our industry? Our industry, I know that I've seen like the job reports and the forecasts, and we are going to be one of the industries that continues to grow. I know that's hard to believe. And we're also in an industry where the average age of an individual that works in this is over the age of 55. I finally qualify for that. But, um, you know, there's a lot of people that are in this industry way older than me, and they're going to be retiring now. Yeah. It's not a glamorous job. Who, who wakes up one morning and says, I'm going to be a custodian. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to work in the environmental services world. Not many people do. But what we've done as an industry is we're trying to attract the younger millennials and the Gen Z. And we're doing that with robotics. So there's robots that are used in cleaning. They use drones in cleaning and things like that. Just read an article this morning. Yeah. So there's there's a lot of things that we're doing where people, you know, the older generation, even myself included at times, like, oh, my gosh, they're trying to take our jobs away. But that auto scrubber that's automated, it's going to clean the big open areas, but it can't do behind the planters and behind the doors and the edges so there's going to be a need for specialists. There's going to be a need for mechanics to work on this equipment. There's going to be a need because there's so much software in this industry to help in managing and doing internal audits and things like that, that we're going to need programmers. So we are trying to get more people from the younger generation to see this as a growth market. And you can make enough money to support a family on it if you do it right. And... I think, you know, that's the wave of the future. There's, uh, I think, one company I know a few years ago, uh, a father and son tried to, to build a 100% automated company with robotics and things like that. They realize it can't be 100%, but it can be a big part of, but the people that they had to bring in had to have a higher level of skill mm -hmm. and understand because the robot can't plug itself in. 
you know, the, you know, we can't do behind the doors and maybe down the road that that technology will exist, but right now it does not. And therefore we have to do the things that can't be done by the robots because every building is different. I don't care if it's the same cleaning tasks. Yeah. Every building yeah. is laid out different. You have different types of services, you know, surfaces. Um, so there's different needs. Every company, there's no cookie cutter. Every building is not built the same. It's not staffed the same way. Not everybody uses the space the same. One may be an architect. One may be a manufacturing. One may be a school. One may be a daycare. Same square footage, all used differently and have different needs. Plenty of opportunities available, especially as you mentioned, you tied AI into it, certifications oh, that go big. into that for using robotics, AI. Uh, That's going to open a whole nother avenue you can see in the background uh your buffalo bills helmet you are a lifelong <laughs> buffalo bills i fan. am you were at miami for week 18 playoffs on the line their vision yes. on the line how much fun was that experience and did you jump through a flaming table being part of the bills mafia I'm a little too old to be doing that anymore. <laughs> My younger days, I may have done something like that yes. a time or two. Uh, at 55, not 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 going to be jumping off an RV to go through a table. Um, it was it was mind blowing. Uh, a good friend of mine in this industry is Marcelo, who's the facilities manager for the Dolphins. Uh, I met him initially through LinkedIn, and then he and I met at a trade show out in Chicago about six years ago and our, our friendship has deepened over time. And we always joked about how he would have me come down one time for a Dolphins Bills game. Um, but it was, it was amazing because I got to see the stadium like no fan would ever see it because I got to see the, the behind the scenes um, operation and what has to be done and how, and, and seeing how they, they lay out their work schedules to get the, the stadium ready for the game, but also what do they do after the game is over and how does it get cleaned after the 65,000 fans leave? Right. So I got to see it from such a different perspective. And that's probably the one thing I love about my industry is that you see every business differently because you get into pieces of a business that nobody else can. Somebody is cleaning the white house somebody has to clean the presidential restroom how many people get to do that or experience that i mean no no i don't want to clean the president's you know, restroom <laughs> but you know we get to see things that nobody yes. else does because, because of building relationships right. yes building relationships plus you know as a custodial staff environmental services staff we have to be in every part of a building mm -hmm. so we literally get to go into parts of buildings that nobody ever sees and to see it from that perspective and the, the, the initiatives that the Dolphins and the Hard Rock Cafe Stadium are doing in regards to a zero carbon footprint and the initiatives and how they're, they're moving on those um, and working with some companies about, you know, hey, removing the pathogens that are in the air because nobody thinks about the air having to be clean now. But it, it is a thing and making sure that the air that we breathe is safe. And just seeing how all of this is coming together, it's amazing. And I'm, he's got me coming back down there uh, relatively soon. 
to do some more training with his supervisory staff because I made such a positive impact the first time and he wants to keep it going because they get an energy boost, you know, talking to somebody else who's really passionate about the industry and, and sees them as, you know, MVPs, you know, because we are, I think that, you know, nobody comes to work to do a bad job and we get, and again, that's probably a black eye in our industry that, you know, a lot of clients see us as, oh, well, we're trying to get out of work. And really, in all the years I've worked in this industry, I've never seen a group of individuals work so hard, whether they're the entry-level new hire that day, right up to the presidents and CEOs of some very large companies. Nobody comes to work planning to do a bad job. It's very physical. It's very mental. Uh, Joel, we appreciate you taking time to share your journey through the industry, educating our listeners on cleaning for health, and how you saved your business multiple <laughs> times. How can people find you on social media? You're big influencer on the LinkedIn community. How can they connect with you? They can connect by finding me on LinkedIn, you know, Joel Craddock. And uh, the last name is pronounced Craddock, spelled like Haddock or yep. only with a C on the front <laughs> uh, and an R, but yes, like the fish. So that's how they can find me or my, my business's names are both uh, Docs Facilities Solutions and that's Docs, D-O-C apostrophe S, no K. And my other company is Docs Facilities Consulting and that is strictly the consulting. So I have two business pages on LinkedIn. I have a podcast on YouTube that I do and that can be found under my name, Joel Craddock or Keep It Clean is the actual name of the podcast. And after the first two that we did, we realized we had some audio issues. We fixed that. And we also thought about the industry as a whole. And we keep those podcasts to about five minutes. So anybody who's looking to get into the industry and learn more, by all means, please subscribe. Because that will make a big difference for all of us. Uh, and, and I thought a lot about it is like, how can you just give a lot of information in a short bit of time? Because so many business owners are so busy, they don't have hours to pour into having to listen. So just five-minute segments that are posted once a week. That will conclude this month's edition of the Business of Cleaning. Be sure to subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Also, be sure to leave us a five-star review and your comments. From everyone at Janitorial Manager, our guest, Joel Craddock. I'm Tim Clagg saying so long until next time.